Greetings, everyone. This is the Sound Health Radio Show, where we talk about the crossroads of the environment and our health with Richard Talk to Me Guy. And as we know, Sherry Edwards is working on the Sound Health Portal. I would suggest going to soundhealthportal.com, scrolling down just a bit, and click on the Watch How button. You'll see a short video explaining how to record and submit your first recording. Then go back to the Sound Health Portal, scroll down to Current Active Campaigns, such as cellular inflammation, PTSD, TBI, or neuroplasticity, and choose one that is of interest to you. Click on that campaign and click the free voice analysis button, and the system will walk you through submitting your recordings. You'll receive an email and your report back usually in one to two hours. To hear and share replays of this show, about 20 to 30 minutes after you hear the outro music, go to talktomeguy.com, Scroll down that page, and you'll see the show at the top of the episodes page. There are also archives of hundreds of hours of shows available there as well. There's a microphone icon at the bottom right corner of all the show notes. If you'd like to leave me a message regarding a question for the guest or a suggestion for a guest or anything else, or just say hi, just click that, and you'll be able to record it right from your computer. With that... Dr. Stephanie Seneff is a research scientist at MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory in Cambridge, Massachusetts. She has a BS degree from MIT in biology and MSEE and PhD degrees from MIT in electrical engineering and computer science. Her recent interests have focused on the role of toxic chemicals and micronutrient deficiencies in health and disease with a special emphasis on the pervasive herbicide glyphosate and the mineral sulfur. Since 2008, she's authored over three dozen peer-reviewed journal papers on these topics. She's the author of a book on glyphosate titled Toxic Legacy, How the Weed Killer Glyphosate is Destroying Our Health and the Environment. Welcome, Stephanie. So great to be here. Thank you for having me. All right, everybody, please... Just relax, take a deep breath, have a glass of water, bye. It's always exciting with Stephanie and I get to talk about glyphosate or, oh man, it's mind-blowing. But first, I just want to read a couple of comments by some people who have read the book and reviewed it, because it really does give it many kudos. Toxic Legacy is both a scientific expose and a call to action. Seneff's work will change the way we all think about food. Mark Hyman, MD. Important nutritional guidance for conscientious consumers who want to avoid glyphosate-contaminated foods and improve their health. Toxic Legacy will stand shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder with Rachel Carson's Silent Spring, not just defining the pervasive threat to us and future generations, but more importantly, articulating what we can do right now to change our destiny. David Prolomater, MD. And I want to ask you a foundational question. Is it still, I think I got this from you, perhaps at a last show, American crops, mm -hmm. about one pound of glyphosate per person per year is used. That's right. Still accurate? Yes. Wow. That's right. Uh-huh. Per person. I, that's, really? That's mind-blowing. That's amazing. I know. That's mind-blowing. <laughs> one pound yes. per person. We should all get out a one-pound <laughs> bag of something and think about how much that is. Right. It just is really blows my mind. Was your research on glyphosate or was your world of, wow, glyphosate really sort of started by your research on ADHD? On autism. <clears throat> it was autism. I started out okay. around, I, I was aware of autism from way back. <clears throat> I had a friend uh, back in the early 1980s whose son uh, got a DPT shot, had a bad reaction uh, had uh, seizures a, a week later and was diagnosed with autism, later diagnosed with autism, and that planted a seed in my mind about autism to watch for it. And um, I saw the numbers going up in the 2000s, early 2000s, consistently going up every year. And, there's, and it was kind of like, oh, we're just diagnosing it more, don't worry, t type of messaging. But I didn't think so. I thought there has to be something in the environment that's doing this. And I was determined to figure out what it was. And I did start with vaccines. I worked on you know, looking at other things too, like lead and you know mercury in the in the teeth and all kinds of 
fluoride, various things that I could find looking for correlations, not seeing it really. The vaccines are correlated for sure, and I think they're a causal factor. But I didn't feel like the vaccines were the whole story. After about five years, uh, I happened to be at a conference where Professor Don Huber was speaking about glyphosate. He gave a two-hour presentation, and I didn't know what glyphosate was. I'm embarrassed to admit. This was in 2012. I didn't know the word. But I was like, well, that sounds interesting. Let me check it out. You know, another chemical. Let me take a look. I was blown away. I mean, that was a a game changer for me. I heard that two-hour presentation. I walked away convinced that I had found my answer. And it was really because I had been researching autism. I understood a lot about the complexities of autism. It's not just a brain problem. You know, there's a lot of gut issues. There's various mineral um, toxicities and deficiencies. I mean, there was a lot going on with the autistic kids not really managing things very well. There was something weird about their metabolism, I felt, you know, that they weren't able to handle exposures uh, the way other kids were. And it was causing, eventually causing brain problems. But I... um, but when he talked about glyphosate and specifically what it does, it fits so well with what I was seeing from uh, autism. I was looking for something in the food or something that was upsetting the gut. You know, I knew there was a really big gut problem with the autistic kids. And I also knew there was a mineral problem, like they couldn't handle minerals well. The manganese could be both toxic and deficient at the same time. You know, they were messed up with the minerals. And both of those were a home run with respect to glyphosate. Also the sulfur problem. Autistic kids, they, they they release sulfate in their urine, and yet they have sulfate deficiency in their blood and in their brain. So they're they're shedding sulfate for some weird reason. I mean, their whole thing is just so screwed up, and you're like, what is going on with these kids? Glyphosate explains all of it, and I talk about it in my book. I talk a lot about autism because that's really been my passion. I feel like I know, I understand autism, and I feel like if we banned glyphosate tomorrow, we would see the autism rate start dramatically dropping. Mic drop. And that was a great show. Thank you so much. <laughs> that really blows my mind. You've heard it, but you've said it before, and each time it blows my mind. Uh, as a kid, although I'm old enough that I was exposed pretty regularly to D- DDT, mm-hmm. and that scene in North by Northwest where there are crop dusters flying across the fields, it was cool as a kid driving through the Salinas Valley to stick your head out the window and get crop dusted. Mm-hmm. It seemed like a thing to do. Oh, boy. And so, yeah, exactly. Oh, boy. And um, so I had some, people wouldn't believe it now, but I had some autistic characteristics as a kid and dyslexia. And I always mm-hmm. had a gut feeling that it was part yeah. of that was the toxic load from the glyphosate. I mean, sorry, right. not glyphosate, right. DDT. DDT, and I, yeah. And I grew up around the Salinas Valley, so there was just right. tons of chemicals. They were still, they were methylbromiding the fields and, oh, my Lord. Right, yeah. So, yeah. Well, glyphosate is interesting because it's, uh, you know, we've been um, led to believe, very strongly led to believe that it's a wonderful chemical because it kills all plants except those that have been engineered to resist it, and it's completely harmless to humans. That's the message. And and people are convinced that the government regulators know what they're doing. That's the big mistake that people make because they don't, and the, and the industry knows how to fool them, and they get they get fooled. They probably want to be fooled because they want to believe that glyphosate can be so miraculous because, of course, it does help reduce the cost of growing food because you don't have to get people out pulling weeds, right? You, can, you don't right. need manual labor. You just pour it, pour the poison over the crop from the airplane. Your crop right. is resistant because you've engineered it to be so. So it's a, tr- you know, it's a tremendous boon to agriculture until it isn't because what happens is over time, the weeds develop resistance to glyphosate, and then you have to use more and more glyphosate every year, which is what happened. The rate of glyphosate usage went up dramatically in the first 10 years of this century as a consequence of the introduction of these Roundup-ready crops, corn, soy, canola, sugar beets, alfalfa. These are sort of core crops, you know. Many of those crops end up in the processed foods because you've got, you get the, you know, the the corn, of course, is the um, is the sh- sugar. Um, mm. Fructose, high fructose corn syrup, is the sugar, and then you've got the the sugar beets are also sugar, and then you've got the uh, the uh, soy, you know, soy p- protein bars. Those things are really toxic. Mm. Probably loaded. And the glyphosate. impossible, and the impossible burger. <clears throat> The Impossible Burger is so disgusting, I would never touch it. (laughs) And and it's been tested by Zen Honeycutt. She found, you know, glyphosate in it at pretty high levels in the burger. I would never eat one of those things, not to mention just the way it's made, you know, with putting genetic engineering, I think it's E. coli or yeast or something, and growing them with this uh, plant-like heme. I mean, it's just disgusting to think about, in my opinion. And I've never known a 
vegetarian or a vegan who is looking for their meat substitute burger to bleed. No, it just they blows my that. mind <laughs> that they thought that was a cool thing. Like what? Yeah. So, I guess they're hoping to draw more people in who want that who want that meat flavor to get it to, to draw more people into the vegan mentality. So this leads so perfectly into the bigger question I I was gonna ask after that. Can you talk about I, I don't think we have a, a real grok or understanding of all the ways that we can be exposed or consume or inhale glyphosate. Mm-hmm. Could you, right. and, and I'm, and I'm going to sort of steer you in case you go a different direction. I'm really interested in the, the output of in Brazil, they do a lot with corn to make biofuels. You so right. that's so glad you brought that up. <laughs> ball of wax. That, right. I can go with that one for sure, because it's really been an eye opener for me. And, um, that's something that I didn't really become aware of until just when COVID hit. Once COVID hit, I started to get curious because I saw that the first three places where things kind of lit up, you know, the, uh, of course, Wuhan and then uh, Lombardy region of, it- of Italy and then New York City, sort of three places where you became aware, oh, my God, this thing is real, it's serious, and it's coming at me, right? That was really an eye-opener when it came to New York City. But all three of those places have heavy air pollution. All three of them have biofuels, and they use a lot of glyphosate on the crops. So that was kind of a, an interesting thought to me. And I, I hadn't even been aware of biofuels really before that. I hadn't really looked into it at all. Once I started looking, I was like, holy cow, because, the, you know, if you think about the wheat crop, they, they, they spray it with glyphosate. And wheat's not a GMO crop, but they spray it with glyphosate to, to kill it and to bring, you know, to synchronize the yield, uh, the, 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 the going... Um, the crop, when it gets hit with glyphosate, it goes to seed. So you get a, you get all the crop uniformly producing seed at the same time. So when you harvest, you get a greater yield that way. And it also dries it out so it's easier to clear the crop for next year. And, of course, also the glyphosate kills the weeds, so you get a head start on next year's weeds. So people think, oh, that's great. Let's just do that. Spray the crop with glyphosate right before harvest, and that's why we have an epidemic in celiac disease, I suspect. But that's mm. a detour. Getting back to the to the biofuels. Then they take the stubble after they've harvested the crop and they throw it on a barge, take it down to a city like New York City, process it through a processing plant, and out comes biofuels. And that's biodiesel, bioethanol, biogas, you know, all these different biofuels. They even have biohome heating oil, which is required 5% in New York. Uh, anyone who uses heating oil for their uh, home heating has to use 5% bio. So, and they've got the biogas. You know, biogas can leak out of leaky pipes under cities. That happens in lots of old cities. The biogas leaks out, and you're going to have glyphosate leaking out with the gas. So huh. that comes to be glyphosate in the air. And that was extremely interesting to me. When the, when COVID first hit, I had been looking into a uh, a condition that I suspected was being caused by glyphosate right before COVID hit, which is this uh, vaping, you know, people who vape uh, e-cigarettes. Huh. Mm-hmm. And they had this they had this weird lung disease that was showing up. And I was reading about it, and I was like, this is so strange. I bet you glyphosate. Just a hunch, you know. I bet you glyphosate. And I started to look, and I found out that that the um, the base of the of this uh, e-cigarette is glycerol. And mm-hmm. glycerol is, a, is the major byproduct of the biofuel industry. When you get done making your fuels, what you've got left over is lots of glycerol. So the market's flooded with glycerol because they've really been – heating up. The biofuel industry has been blossoming in the last few years, really growing fast. And of course, there's this whole concept of saving oil, you know, all the good stuff. But the fact is, when you put glyphosate in that biofuel, it becomes extremely toxic, I think. And um, so the glyphosate is getting into the air in the cities where these, now they've got these, and Brazil in particular, they have designed these trucks to run on practically pure biofuel, like 70% biofuel. You have to design the engine specially to make it that work. Uh-huh. But they've got these big trucks in, in Brazil uh, spewing out, you know, I suspect, uh, spewing out glyphosate. Now, if, you, if, you get, if it gets to combustion, it'll be broken down. But that's going to also produce nitrogen and phosphorus and toxic gases in the air. You know, even if it gets broken down, it's not going to be a, a free ride. But the glyphosate that's left over, I suspect, it survives and doesn't get into combustion because of a, a poorly tuned engine or, you know, when it's idling. I mean, there's ways in which the glyphosate can escape, evaporate into the air before it gets to con- combustion, I suspect. And that's all sort of theoretical, but Brazil did a study 
couple of years ago where they looked at uh, glyphosate contamination in nanoparticles in the air. And they looked in the areas, agricultural areas, where they were heavily using glyphosate, and sure enough, they found it. Then they looked in the city, where they weren't, there was no agriculture, they looked in the city, and they found almost the same levels in the city. They were surprised. Oh. So, yeah, I think it's getting into the air through that process of the biofuels. This disease, this lung disease, looks a whole lot like COVID. The disease that people get from smoking e-cigarettes, it looks a whole lot like COVID. You know, it's kind of a lung toxicity. It's a... It's a uh, pulmonary, um, what's it called? Uh, uh, shoot, I lost the word. Uh, I'm sorry. I know that, the, I know that, there, well, no, right I know now, that there's a, pulmonary edema, but I don't the lungs, know. What you know yeah. it, more than an infection, there's a toxic response, um, mm-hmm. damage, pulmonary damage, you know, which happens with COVID as well. But I think the people who get really bad COVID, I bet you you would find a tremendous, if you looked, you would find a, a strong correlation between the level of glyphosate in their urine and the degree to which they can handle COVID, I suspect. And I talked a little bit about it in my book. I, um, in my book, I have a whole a chapter on glyphosate and the immune system. It's quite fascinating. And I think that glyphosate is causing dis, uh, severe disruption of the innate immune system, the innate system, not the adaptive. The adaptive is where you get the antibodies. And our whole program on COVID is geared towards getting people to produce high, sky-high antibodies to, to, to the uh, spike protein you know, through the vaccination program. That's the goal, and it works really well. The vaccines produce incredibly high antibody response, typical of what you would get with severe disease. People who get a mild case hardly even develop any antibodies to the spike protein in a normal situation. But it's a severe disease that produces super high antibodies, and that's what you get with the vaccine. It acts like your body reacts as if it's been exposed to severe, a severe case of COVID. And... Um, you need the antibodies when the innate immune system isn't working. And I wrote a lot about that in my book. It's quite fascinating because there are these proteins that are very special that are uh, several different proteins that are in a class that is, it has a, co- a characteristic collagen-like stalk. This gets a little bit technical, technical, but it's very interesting, I think. And the collagen-like stalk is a, a sequence, an amino acid sequence that looks like collagen. And collagen has this especially unique property of having long, long sequences of what's called GXY, 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 where every third amino acid is a glycine residue. Tremendous levels of glycine in collagen. And collagen itself is the most common protein in the body. 25% of the body's proteins are collagen. Collagen's the glue. You know, it's in the joints, it's in the bones, it's in the brain. It's like the thing that holds the body together and um, cushions the joints. And uh, collagen has this beautiful triple helix crystal structure that depends on those glycines, every third amino acid. Glyphosate goes in, I believe, and this is the big argument in my book, substitutes for that glycine at random places in the molecule and prevents the the collagen molecule from folding correctly into this triple helix structure, which then messes up its properties in a big way. So it does the same thing to these collagen-like stalks on on these proteins that are very important for the immune system. And a group of them are these surfactants that are produced mm-hmm. in the lungs. And those surfactants mm-hmm. grab viruses and trap them. So when those things are broken, the virus can't be trapped. It goes into the lungs and it has a field day because it can't be trapped. Wow. And so that makes me jump to asking about we have an elevated rate of liver, fatty liver issues. Right. Is glyphosate yes. in that mix? Is glyphosate one of the factors in there? Absolutely, and that's another chapter in my book. I have a whole chapter on the liver. I I had a lot of fun with the liver. Every chapter was a challenge. I'll tell you the gut chapter was the hardest one to write, but I was pleased with the outcome. It took me a long time to kind of work that story out, but um, that's a very complicated story. But the liver, very, very interesting, and I believe it has to do – there's several things that glyphosate – there's several enzymes that glyphosate disrupts. Some of them are really critical in the mitochondria, you know, so there's a uh, succinate dehydrogenase is an enzyme that's super critical in the mitochondria. It links together. It it, it works both as part of the citric acid cycle and as part of oxidative phosphorylation. Those are the two big things that mitochondria do, and this enzyme plays an important role in both of them, and this enzyme is suppressed by glyphosate. That's been shown in multiple studies, and I gave the references in the book. But there's another enzyme that I think glyphosate is suppressing, that hasn't been studied. It's called PEPCK, phosphoenolpyruvate carboxykinase. It's a very, very important enzyme everywhere, but in the liver, 
it plays a super uh, a super role, and it um, it basically is essential for being able to um, process fats through the um, mm. mitochondria and turn them into sugar. And so there's a the whole process. The liver can actually kind of reverse engineer and make sugar out of fats, and it needs this enzyme to do that. And this enzyme has a characteristic structure at the place where there's a critical glycine residue that binds phosphate. And I talk about it in my book. It's exactly modeled by the enzyme that glyphosate famously disrupts in the plants called mm. EPSP synthase. So there's, a, there's some you know, biology, te- technical biology behind this. But when you study, people have identified EPSP synthase, how glyphosate disrupts it. That's been the argument. That's the enzyme that the plants totally depend on to make um, critical aromatic amino acids, Glyphosate disrupts that enzyme, the plant dies. That's the basic story of how glyphosate kills the plants. And then the the good, the, the happy, happy line is that, oh, we don't have that pathway, we don't have that enzyme, therefore our cells are safe. That's the argument that's used to say this is a great chemical because it doesn't affect our, we don't have the enzyme that it affects in the plants. But the problem is we have other enzymes that are lookalikes to that enzyme. And you can find those enzymes and you can see that. If glyphosate were to cause the same problem for those enzymes, you would have the very things we see that glyphosate causes. So it, it's all a big puzzle that I've worked out in the book in great detail. I'll tell you, I tried to make the book as light as possible, so don't be too scared away by the biology. There is some biology in there, but it's um, I tried to kind of buffer it with some explanations and some help for the people who don't have a biology background. So I'm hoping that it can reach a, lot, a larger audience than just the experts. But anyway, getting back to this PEPCK, really, really fascinating because if that enzyme's disrupted, you're going to get fatty liver disease because the mitochondria can't process fats. And you're going to get high blood sugar because the body needs to depend on that enzyme to turn other things into sugar when the blood sugar drops low. So, what, you know, if your blood sugar goes too low, you end up in a coma. And you have mechanisms that say, oh my God, we've got to do something here. The blood sugar is too low. Let's make some sugar. And let's, the liver does that for you. It makes the sugar and dumps it into the blood to keep it from being too low. So if you're exercising vigorously, blood sugar is dropping, you can uh-huh. go into a coma unless you have the facility with this enzyme to make more. And when you don't, your body says, oh my God, we've got to raise the set point for sugar because we can run into trouble. It will sort of observe through experience. We need to raise the set point. So then you get this kind of elevated blood sugar that's a precursor to diabetes. And eventually it becomes full-blown diabetes because of this enzyme being broken, I think. you know. So fatty liver disease, I mean, that's been shown. They did a rat study fairly recently where they exposed the rat to, rats to levels of glyphosate that were below the regulatory limit over a period of time. And those rats developed fatty liver disease. So you could see that the, even at very low levels, glyphosate causes it. And then there was a study on people who had fatty liver disease. They had three groups, the severe cases, the more benign cases, and the people, the controls who didn't have fatty liver disease. And they found statistically significant differences in the amount of glyphosate in the urine among the three groups, which was really quite remarkable in my opinion, that you could show through the urinary test the connection between, and it's correlation, obviously. They didn't didn't explain how it caused it, but I can explain how it causes it. (laughs) Of course they didn't always amazed when I talk to you how I think of many conditions that people have or imbalances. The liver is the organ that does so much for our bodies and breaking things down and making it happen as well as our gut. And so far, glyphosate is kicking them both in the head hard. Right. And so it explains why I, and back to also the collagen thing, I know that the technology has made it in vogue. However, I think that what you're talking about with what's happened to the glyph- to the collagen is why there are so many hip and knee replacements. That's my Absolutely. opinion. That's just my opinion. That's all I'm saying. It's my opinion as well, and I wrote about it in the book. And I think it may also be connected to the opioid drug crisis because I think a lot of people are in pain. You have so much back pain and neck pain and you know lots of foot problems. I mean, people have some... You see all these people hobbling around these days. I feel like yeah. people expect... If, you know, as soon as you're 60 years old, you're going to just fall apart, you know? People almost expect it now, it seems like. It's not true. You shouldn't have to. You know, you should still be very agile at the age of 80 or 90, I think, if all goes well and you avoid all these toxic chemicals. But the glyphosate is a real killer for the 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 joints and the bones. And and then you get a lot of pain. And then you get stuck with opioid drug crisis, you know. I I think, you know, the companies are despicable, but, but they're being blamed totally. 
And no one's yeah. saying, well, how come all these people are in so much pain? No one's asking that question. You know, when they say, oh, these, op- these companies are so despicable because they gave people all these drugs and they got so hooked. But the people were in agony. They needed the drugs. You know, and, the, and that's what the companies actually argue. We're doing a service for these people. They can't stand living if they don't get these drugs, you know? It really blows my mind. My grandmother lived to be 106. Wow! Well, and she well, she was. This is she died in the seven in the seventies, and she had mm-hmm. come across. She was old enough that she actually came across the United States in a wagon. Wow! From Michigan wow. to Salt Lake City. Wow! And, that's so impressive. And the thing that always blows my mind that is a theme for me is that in those times when they grow their own food, my grandparents ate organically. They just didn't right, know that. exactly. They had no idea that like, oh, we eat organic only. That's what they grew. They grew their own food. They had their own pigs. They grew their own cows. They did everything. And she lived yes. to be 106, and she was completely vital until she was 98 when she broke a hip because she uh-huh, fell yeah. cleaning the snow off her front step. Oh, wow. But up at until that time, yeah. she, but, at, but at no time until then had she ever had a health issue or a thing. She'd right. always worked. She worked in her up until her late 80s, still baking pies for the church. Yeah, wow. I mean, yeah. it was, and, but I mean, she had a cafe, not just like baked pies, right. I mean, like hundreds right, of pies. Right, right, wow. And she was totally I mean, vital. That's a good example. And I think it's really kind of interesting to me. It feels like people very quickly adapt to the new normal. You know, when we see all these kids with autism and, of course, ADHD and all the eczema and the asthma, all these autoimmune diseases, you know, the celiac disease, all kinds of food intolerances, peanut allergy, all these things. And and somehow this generation of parents are comfortable with that. Oh, yeah, I mean, you know, my kid's got asthma. Oh, yeah, mine's got eczema. I mean, it's just like, oh, yes, of course, you've got something if you're a kid, right? You're just sick. You get colds all the time. I mean, it's all normal now. It's just not normal. I know it's not normal. When I was a kid, you know, in grade school, I remember in grade school one child who was a year behind me that had a lung problem. She had asthma, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't remember any peanut allergy. I don't remember any autism. There was nothing. Everybody was healthy. So it's just yeah. weird that we um, we very quickly adapt to a new model for what's normal. And I think it's the same for the old people. I know when I go to the airport and I see all these people in wheelchairs or walkers or there, you can tell they're in agony as they're walking even without any support. Yeah. You know, so many people are just hobbling around. And it, it breaks my heart because I think we're all being poisoned by glyphosate and this is happening to us and we're not noticing it. Why are we not noticing it? It's not the same as it was then, you know? I always find it amazing when I, the few times I do go to doctors, and I have a very smart, what I would call hippie doctor, but not really. I mean, she's fully degreed and went to swanky schools. I know that when the nurses do an intake, they're always, well, are you still on any of these medications? But because about 10 years ago, I was hospitalized for a while and I had to have some major just physical surgeries, not, uh-huh. not involving anything we're talking about. But the uh-huh. doctors are always amazed when I come in and I'm, I'm on no meds. Mm-hmm. And that yep. creates everybody in the office to like, oh my God, you're not. A, how's that possible? Are you lying? You must be on something. You're on nothing. Right. No, I'm on. I'm on nothing. I, that's right. my level of medication is nothing. Same and, for me, by the way. Nothing. <laughs> yeah, I just can't. I, I'm. I'm like you. I can't imagine it any other way. I'm not. I'm not interested in being on meds. And and I also know that. It is really surprising to me how many of my friends are in pain. I mean, mm-hmm. I have some aches and pains when I do stuff that's dumb, but not like I have to be on a walker. I have I have two friends that one had a hip replacement, and he's only mm-hmm. in his early sixties, and another friend who had bilateral knee replacements still is right. well. I talk it. about the statistics on those things in my book. I was I was quite shocked to see. How, and of course, one thing is they claim they're getting better at it, and so they you know they make money off it. I mean, there's various pressures for doing more, right? That are happening yeah. right now, but the Rates have gone up astronomically in things like hip replacement surgery and knee replacement surgery. I mean, many people are routinely getting these things now. Yes. You know? it's just, uh, now it's a thing. Things it's like are cocktail conversation. Apart. Yeah, it's like cocktail conversation now. Like, yes. oh, yeah, you know, my husband had his hip replacement. He's great now. And I'm like, right, really? You know? <laughs> it's amazing to me. I, I, I find it really interesting that people don't notice, you know, and, and, the, and also that people are have so much faith. I mean, they've gotten used to the fact that you can just go down to the local garden store and buy some Roundup and kill your dandelions, you know, and it's been touted as being so safe. And um, 
people have a hard time wrapping their brain around the idea that this stuff is actually really toxic, you know. And it, well, it, they, it's, a, it's, it's dangerous because it's insidiously, cumulatively toxic. It doesn't blow you over. So you don't notice right away that you're being poisoned. It happens slowly. That's right. part of the problem. And, of course, it's all over the food supply. It's in the air. You can't avoid it. So everyone's being poisoned, you know, to varying degrees, some worse than others. And then pe- some people get horrendously sick, and they have no clue why. And I think if they just got off that glyphosate, they'd find remarkable improvements in their health. And I'm always amazed how... There, there are a number of people that I see that use something like Roundup, the over-the-brand name, and they they have the oh, it's, I'm not using that much, right, it's right, that kind of thing. I'm just killing the weeds in the driveway, and I'm like, how about you just hold them out? How about you just scrape them out of place? Or how about they grow through the cracks? They're, you know, they're just plants. So right. it really amazes me how people take that on. And I remember many years ago, I interviewed uh, Dr. Marion Moses, an MD who wrote a book called Designer Poisons. And that yeah, was in nice, the nice man in the 80s, maybe, because I uh-huh. was doing radio then. And she was stunned to find that the amount of toxins, and this was in the 80s, so right. people were, we were looking at it like they're now. Compared to now. Right. But compared to now, but the, the amount of toxins at that time the highest level of stuff getting dumped into the atmosphere or into the waterways, I'll say, were really by home users who would take a product that they were done with and, like, dump it in the drain. Mm-hmm, right. How do you get rid of it? That's right. I worry and about that with glyphosate, too. What yeah. are people doing? It with? And, you know, I, I've studied, I've looked at Florida. Florida situation is pretty bad with all the toxic algae, you know, overgrowth in, in the waterways and um they're using uh, lots of glyphosate on the sugarcane fields right around the the uh, the, the lakes there, and then yeah. um, also the people the, those multi-million-dollar homes. They've got gorgeous lo- lots, right? Gorgeous yards. Yeah. Yeah. Glyphosate's used on those, and they're right next to the water. And then the glyphosate yeah. gets into the waterways, and now the manatees are dying. I mean, they're dying in record numbers this past year. I wrote a, uh, an article together with Jennifer Margulis on this uh, topic on the manatees in uh, in New York in, in uh, Florida. Because of the toxic, um, it's these um, cyanobacteria, the blue-green algae. Those guys, the cyanobacteria, are actually able to metabolize glyphosate, which is pretty awesome. They have an awesome skill because not that many species can break it down. So they have that huge advantage. They can break it down and they can turn it into useful nutrients, into nitrogen and phosphorus nutrients that help to promote algae overgrowth. You get that the, the the red tide, you know, the algae produce these toxins that can kill the dog yeah. if it drinks the water, yeah. and um, and the blue green and the and the cyanobacteria. So they're the they're the base of the food chain that causes a complete disruption of the waterways. And then the the the, the food that the manatees eat, you know, is picking up all that glyphosate, and the manatees are being poisoned. It's really sad to see in Florida, but it's very that, clear to me. Yeah, and isn't is some of their are they assimilating it through their skin as well, being in the waterways? Or probably. That's eating? a good point. They're probably absorbing it through the, through the skin. You're absolutely right. Wow. Because they're giant, soft You can imagine them. Animals. Kind of, you know. Yeah. I know. Yeah, they've got plenty of skin to be exposed to the glyphosate in the water. And they even use glyphosate in the waterways to control weeds. Oh. Invasive weeds in the waterways are using glyphosate. And the logic is that glyphosate's you know, far less toxic than the other chemicals, so let's use glyphosate. It's, an, you know, it's the preferred option. Because they don't realize it's so toxic. The same thing. There's. An, I, mean, I wrote about this, I think, in my book about an, uh, anencephaly in Washington State. At the there's this three river system where there's um, irrigation farms and whatnot, and um, they were having trouble with invasive weeds. It was another problem with sort of invasive weeds taking over the waterways, mm-hmm. and they thought, well, let's use glyphosate because that's the safest chemical. And they used glyphosate. There were a couple of years, 2012, I think it was like 2012, 2013 when they used lots of glyphosate in the waterways to control these invasive weeds, and they started seeing babies being born without a brain. That was called anencephaly. There was an epidemic in anencephaly among the mothers in that area over those two years, and, and Don Huber picked up on that and, and wrote about it. But it seems very clear to me that glyphosate was the major player in that anencephaly. Wow. Well, and, and I was going to save this for later, but I have to say it now. Glyphosate really seems to be a foundational thing to me that in the long run makes us immunosuppressed or makes our own immune system not function as well as it does 
compared to my 160-year-old grandmother because it's just a, it's just a thing that just digs away at so many things and along with the collagen it's just like mm-hmm. blows my mind that it's it's just an okay thing to use Right, I mean, the collagen is really important because those collagen-like stalks on those immune, these these um, uh, proteins that are made by the immune system cells that trap the viruses, they're like a vacuum cleaner or like tar paper, you know, they trap the viruses so that you can clear them. Otherwise, it's really hard to catch them, and so they're able to invade the cells and grow. And um, and glyphosate, uh, it, I think it's disrupting those critical proteins in the innate immune system. It's also wrecking the mitochondria. I have a lot about the mitochondria in my book. Uh-huh. And multiple ways in which glyphosate disrupts. Of course, I mentioned the PEPCK, but also the succinate dehydrogenase. And there's other enzymes like glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase. These are all really important enzymes to keep the mitochondria happy. Glutathione gets all messed up. It gets oxidized and reduced in, in amount. This is shown in studies, and it's also uh, clear to explain through the mechanisms, the, the biological mechanisms of glyphosate. It all fits together very nicely. Mitochondrial dysfunction is, of course, linked to all kinds of, of diseases, many, many debilitating diseases, including autism and Alzheimer's. And those diseases are going up in, in, in prevalence exactly in step with the rise in glyphosate usage on core crops. So the whole puzzle fits together very, very nicely. I think it's so obvious that I don't understand why everybody doesn't see it, you know. I feel like people should just wake up, have an aha moment, and say, okay, I'm not using that stuff anymore. And, of course, we became fanatical as soon as I started to realize how bad this stuff was, and that was back in 2012. You know, we had been kind of, oh, the cereal runs out, replace it with organic type of thing. And eventually we got to where, oh, we can't eat this stuff. Let's just throw it all away. So whatever was left just got purged, you know, into the trash can. And you think, oh, not organic, gone. <laughs> you know? yeah. We started over with our kitchen at one point after a few months because it's like this stuff is too toxic to even finish up what we've already got. We can't in good conscience eat this stuff, you know? So we've become fanatical about only purchasing certified organic. And I think that's a huge thing to, um, to help. Just that simple step, will, you'll, have, you'll see amazing results. And, mm-hmm. and both my husband and I have seen, you know, problems. And they were minor problems, but they went away, yeah. problems that we had. I used to get urinary tract infections. I don't anymore, ever. You know? Wow, that's amazing. Gone. Yeah. And I want to jump back to cannabis for a minute and the vaping because I've gotten into for uh, we'll call them heated discussions mm. with people who like to vape. Mm. And I've tried to educate them about the your idea of the biofuel issue and I sort of use that right. as a gateway like let's talk about biofuels. Now what's in your vaping pen? And they just it's it's kind of like the people who it's very similar to the people that, like, I'm only using a little bit of Roundup. Right, right. And they have that same people thing. People like, how harmful could it be? Right. How harmful could it be? And the idea of, yeah. oh, no, I, as they're vaping hard, and whether it's tobacco or cannabis, I don't care. It's the same thing. Right. Absolutely. The glycerol is going to be there for the cannabis as well. And I would say, no, don't do it. Absolutely. <laughs> See, I try to say that, but it comes out harsher because it's just like, I can't I believe... Know. Because most of these, a lot of these people that I talk to are people who are air quotes conscious in in other things and what they're doing and they want to support the planet. And I'm just not only is there a bunch of who bad word almost came out stuff that's a byproduct of vaping, meaning the batteries that don't get recycled and the casings that don't get recycled and then right, get stored right, in the trash. That's right, it's all, all that, that adding well. to the waste. But they're yes. also consuming a product that is toxic, in my view. Right. Absolutely. It just blows my mind. I think it's an extremely dangerous in time of COVID because it's going to really up the ante on your COVID. When you get COVID, you're going to be in bad shape. And, um, you know, it's very interesting with the air pollution because I was looking into it, um, and there have actually been several studies. A Harvard group did a study in the United States uh, looking at nanoparticles in the air, and apparently there's data on that, which makes Mm -hmm. it easy at the county level. So they looked at the county level across the country at at the uh, nanoparticle levels in the air, uh, correlated with a death rate from COVID across the wow. country, and they found a statistically significant correlation, and they published a paper on that, if Harvard group. And then in Europe, I found three other papers from various parts of Europe where they also showed the same thing. Uh, air pollution seemed to be tied to bad outcomes, you know, higher death rate from COVID. So then I looked at the, over the whole world to say, okay, which countries have you, have, you can get data on the nanoparticles, you know, the level of the problems the country has with air pollution, 
versus the COVID-19 death rate. And so I got a number of different data points from across the world. And, that, and when you plot it, it doesn't look at all right. It looks completely wrong. Like the, the countries that have the worst air pollution have the lowest death rates from COVID. It's completely backwards. And you're like, what the hell? You know, what is going on here? Yeah. I'm so confused. And so as you look and you see which countries have the really bad air pollution, those are countries that are quite, you know, like the African, they're, they're using um, small farms. You know, they don't have a lot of glyphosate. They have uh, natural small family farms. So the people are eating basically organic whole foods. They're not eating processed foods, so they're getting a healthy diet. And, um, and the air pollution doesn't have the glyphosate in it. That's what I'm suspecting, that the air pollution with glyphosate is extremely toxic. Air pollution without glyphosate, it has toxicity, but not connected to COVID-19. So the countries that have very high air pollution have very low glyphosate and very low death from, rate from COVID. And the numbers are extraordinarily big because I, I looked at Nigeria. I got interested in Africa because Africa is practically immune to COVID, except for South Africa, which I'm sure you've been hearing about. The rest of Africa, you know, all the, the heartland of Africa is practically immune to COVID, very low death rates. And, uh, you know, these are people with crowding in the cities and poverty and all this stuff, and it doesn't seem to matter. They're not catching COVID. They're not dying from it. And, um, and I think the difference is the, is, the, is the glyphosate, because these countries use very little glyphosate compared to us. South Africa is an exception. They've been long and deep into, with Monsanto, with the GMO uh, maize. You know, they, they have lots of glyphosate in South Africa, but the rest of the con- continent does not. And South Africa is the only country in the continent that's having trouble controlling COVID. And whereas you look at Brazil, completely out of control, the United States, out of control, Europe, all of Europe is just going crazy with COVID. These are places that, that develop biofuels and are using them in the cities and that have lots of glyphosate. I think that air pollution, glyphosate, biofuels is all connected to a bad outcome from COVID. It's quite striking. In Nigeria, when I looked at Nigeria and I even said, well, let's just assume everybody who died was over 65 because I knew that Nigeria has a lot of, they have a high uh, reproduction rate. Their, their women have a lot of kids, so they have a much lower average life, uh, average age than we do. So it's not fair, you know, to compare apples and oranges. So, But if you just say if everybody was over 65, normalized for the over 65 population in Nigeria versus the United States, and looking at the death rate, and you find that for every one person who dies in Nigeria, 100 people die in the United States. It's not like a small factor. It's a hundredfold. It's quite amazing. Well, I think it's uh, backstage before the show started, we were talking about a conference that I go to every year when it starts again uh, called Bioneers. And a lot of times there are people that are coming there to talk about how to purify a million gallons of water a day for a nickel. I mean, literally, mm. they're trying to wow. do that or they're trying to come uh-huh. up with alternative ways of growing. And a lot, of, and a number of times we'll have people, speakers that are working with African countries or uh, we'll get back to biochar in a minute. But mm-hmm. a lot of the times there is that observation of the rich countries like the United States, let's say, seem to have elevated levels. But these people, again, back to my grandmother, are eating organically because they can't afford not to in the sense of they can't afford to have all the chemicals and pesticides and, to, you know, chemical fertilizers because they don't they can't afford that. So they're growing organic food because they have to. And because of that, they're healthier, they're more vital, they're not having the kinds of conditions that are going on. And we've had some so some of those conversations sort of at a side conversation of like, do you think that is contributing to it? And so what you're saying is really, wow, Brazil, oof, bad, yeah. biofuels, biofuels. Tricky. Yeah, they're very big on biofuels in Brazil. And they yeah. do it from sugarcane, like they make bioethanol. From sugar yeah. it's bioethanol I think that can run the, the trucks can run on like seventy percent bioethanol right and the bioethanol comes from sugarcane and sugarcane is sprayed right before the harvest with with glyphosate right uh, another person that I've heard lecture is uh, David Bloom, who wrote a book called Alcohol as a Gas, mm-hmm. and he produces now he's in California and he's a permaculture instructor and grower of things. He mm-hmm. has five uh, greenhouses that are an acre each, and he produces you know, some of the most beautiful, actually Hawaiian turmeric that you could possibly imagine. So oh, it's that's wonderful. That's such good stuff. That, I'll tell yeah. you, these herbs and spices are so wonderful. Yeah, his turmeric is, I have a friend ship me some from Watsonville, and it is just 
I like sometimes to just roughly scrub it and then poach it and just sort of have it as a side dish because it's just delicious and it's so. Oh, I, I never thought of doing that. It's a. It's really it's so, delicious. Um, it's got such a rich dye, you know. It colors everything red, right? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's fun stuff. So, we, yeah, we ahead. have guys here who sell it. Yeah. Go ahead. And one of the things that he does is he takes all the byproduct, all the waste from his farm, and produces his own ethanol. He, oh, our, that's he's a he, and he wow. he's worked with other manufacturers. Really fascinating. And other countries where they're using mm-hmm. his system by basically, you know, very fancy, and I mean that in a good way. Large yeah. systems using biodigesters to take right. these plant food, these carbohydrates, and convert it right. into fuel, and then he purifies that. Now he ran his truck for over two hundred and fifty thousand miles on that uh-huh. kind of fuel. And you wow. can adjust a, a standard engine with a little bit of timing and some other tricks, but you don't have to rebuild right. it. And you can run it on 100% ethanol. And he did oh, that with his truck. I, I thought it took a complete redesign. No. Uh-uh. That's really interesting. And so he wow. did that, his, ran his truck for 200,000 miles, and the engine lasted casually that well because there's less pollution to the actual engine. It could engine. be that the glyphosate's actually wrecking the engine. I would not be surprised. I'm only thinking of that just now, but... You know, when you use organic uh, biofuel, maybe uh, the engine lasts a lot longer. I would not be surprised. Yeah. Because yeah. Gly- glyphosate, uh, you know, it deals with metals and stuff. It strips metals from pipes. I mean, I would think it could kind of do a number on the engine, I would imagine, but I don't know. Yes. That's yeah. totally, <laughs> that's total speculation. So don't that's a good speculation, that, but... though. I'll talk, I'll talk to him about that sometime because I think that's an interesting speculation because I'm trying to get him to... He's out there in the world. He's more uh, the the process of using the digesters than that. He's actually doing better with companies out of the United States who are more right, receptive to this idea. I know he did a that's project really in uh, Dubai where they had uh-huh. huge date date farms, and the dates uh-huh. that didn't get sold, he was then showing them how they could take that and turn that into biofuel. Yeah, and so at least I think the was, concept of put turning food waste into biofuel is a good one because it's a shame to waste food. Might as well. You know, nature always finds a way to use all the waste and bring it back around again, right? That's one thing we yes. need to learn to do. Yeah. And um, but the problem is, if you're going to poison your food with glyphosate, then you're, then your your fuel becomes toxic too. So that's why you've got to keep the glyphosate out of the system entirely out to make it all work. As now we're making all these biofuels off of toxic waste, and if it were not, if glyphosate weren't used on the crops, then I think it would be smart to do biofuels. But with the glyphosate, it's really causing a lot of trouble. It's really hazardous. Yes, and yeah. same thing with cow wow. manure. You know, cow manure is very valuable for helping um, uh, fertilize crops. Yes, yeah. Um, but but the stuff that comes out of the cows in the CAFO farms are, is just hopeless. It's just toxic, you know, because Yikes. of all the chemicals in it, especially the glyphosate. So that's really yeah. a shame, too. We don't realize that when we use these toxic chemicals on our crops, they they spread around in so many different places and cause everything else to be ruined, you know. Let alone in it's the terms so of in what I... When I think about cattle, because um, I live in an area where there's a lot of grass-fed, grass-finished beef wandering the hills, literally awesome. just walking awesome. around eating grass. What a radical right. idea. I know. Um, and that, yeah. Oh, I can totally get into that. <laughs> and so it blows my mind again when I see commercial farms where, well, I, well I'll just say Harris Ranch on I-5 going down to Southern California is a huge farm factory of cows. And right. people think it's like, you know, it's a big deal. It has a restaurant, all these things. And I'm thinking, you really are going to stop there to have a glyphosate burger? Wow. Right. It, I it know. my mind. Yeah. I just, I can't do it. But they, but as you say, people don't understand. Again, farmers in Africa who do have cows can take that manure and use it on their crops. And it's okay because they don't have glyphosate because right. they can't afford it. Exactly. How great is that? Right. They can't afford it. And the that. other thing is, you know, they say the cows produce methane and methane's a greenhouse gas and that's so bad. Yes. And therefore, yeah. don't have cows. But the fact is when the cows eat the grass, I think the methane is a consequence of the glyphosate because glyphosate disrupts the enzymes. It's really actually fascinating in the gut, you know, and we have a whole lot of trouble with bloating, you know, these days where uh-huh. people have gas issues yeah. in the gut. And that's because the enzymes that take so the the gut actually has a very interesting system where it uh, they produce these gases. They start with hydrogen gas, and then they make methane from the hydrogen gas, and then the methane gets turned back into organic matter like methanol, you know, and formate, and it, all these different derivatives of the methane um, eventually become nutrients that feed 
the human host, the bacteria are doing all of this. You know, they're bringing the methane back into organic matter. If those enzymes are broken, which they are by glyphosate, then the gas builds up. And you get hydrogen sulfide gas, hydrogen gas, methane, all those gases. We have trouble with bloating from those same gases. And the cows are getting the same problem because they're eating the glyphosate. So the ones that are eating the grass, they don't have that problem. And furthermore, they provide the manure that helps the grass grow. So the grass actually does better when it's got cows grazing on it than it yeah. does without. And we can't eat the grass. So any grass we turn into cow is food we would not otherwise have, right? Right. If people say don't eat meat, you know, it's bad for the environment. That's not true. I don't think that's true at all. If you're eating grass-fed beef, I think it's a, it's a healthy choice for the environment, for yourself as well, but for the environment as well. There's actually a great book called Cows Save the Planet. Oh, I love that title. The author and I are juggling trying to do a show about that very thing where they look at the effects of ruminant animals like cows wandering around improving the soil because they're right, exactly holes, the whole system the whole system it's actually a system it's a shocking mm-hmm. thing it's actually a system where the cows wander makes around makes sense right because the plants have been used to having animals in the past grazing on them yes. so that should be part of the whole what makes ecology work and so if we could just go back to nature really the basic premise is go back to a natural system in all respects, and get rid of those toxic chemicals. None of those chemicals are natural, any of them. Right. You know? They don't fit anywhere. They don't fit into no. the, well, the, you know, the food pyramid is a whole other show. But let's pretend uh, right. the food pyramid. You know, none of that is in the food pyramid. They just, well, I don't know what they do. Um, I want to jump right. for a moment to ask you, did I hear you, uh, in, in researching, I always listen and read, so I'm not sure where I got this. Did I hear you talk about biochar? absorbing glyphosate or neutralizing it or locking it up in some way? Yeah, maybe. I'm a little I know biochar is really really useful um in in re- restoring soil. Um I I did talk about the um fulvic acid and humic acid and I wrote about that in my book cuz that's quite okay. fascinating. Fulvic acid is this complex carbohydrate uh structure that's in the soil. Um, and the fulvic acid is interesting because it traps enzymes in, in the fulvic acid. And so I'm suspecting, and again, this hasn't been proven, it's speculation, that the fulvic acid contains these enzymes trapped in it that are very versatile. They, and I read about this in papers, that these, these enzymes are very versatile to be able to break down uh, enzymatically a large number of toxic chemicals. And so it's, it's possible that glyphosate is among that list. So all of this is kind of conjecture. It's just that these enzymes are very, very capable of breaking down toxic chemicals in general. And so it's possible that those enzymes in the fulvic acid are able to break down glyphosate. The other one is acetobacter, which is in um, fermented foods. And I really am a oh. big fan of fermented foods, sauerkraut, apple cider, vinegar, um, you know, kimchi, kombucha, all those fermented foods. Um, because, And, of course, there's the microbes in them that can help to keep your gut microbiome happy. But more than that, if those microbes can break down glyphosate. So I sort of am a big fan of apple cider vinegar. Like to have a salad with use apple cider vinegar organic on your salad dressing, and then um, eat the salad. And now you've got that those acetobacter in your mouth and in your throat. And then when you eat, if you do have glyphosate in your food, they can break it down before it even gets to your stomach. This is a hypothetical again; it hasn't been shown. In, in practice, but makes sense to me because acetobacter are there are species of acetobacter that are able to break down glyphosate. Glyphosate has a very difficult CP bond that most species don't know what to do with, which is why you know they argue. Monsanto argues that it basically comes through your system, goes out through your urine, it's all gone, and it gets converted to AMPA, which still has that CP bond. But um, other than that, it doesn't really go anywhere, and then the AMPA and the glyphosate go out through your feces, through your urine, you're all set. They're lying because their own studies have shown that it accumulates in the tissues. They say it all goes away, but it's not true. It accumulates in the tissues. Right. And that's in the form of protein, I suspect, tied up in protein because of uh, this problem of substituting for glycine. Yikes. And um, I will, too, plant the flag in the ground of all things fermented. I'm a big fan of everything that you named. So oh, good. Kimchi. I'll have kimchi with breakfast. I don't care. I'll have kimchi anytime, anywhere, any Wonderful. meal. Just hand me sauerkraut or kimchi. I'm happy. I love those. There you go. It does, it's kind world. of a developed taste, but it it, it really, um, it's very tasty. I mean, it certainly has a unique flavor. And all uh, the benefits. Now I can really, right. and, and do you, th- do you think that we can, 
we both agree we should get rid of glyphosate. Right. Until then, until we can, because it's going to take a while, once right. it, if we ever do stop using it in this country, eventually it seems like we've got to figure it out. Other countries right. are. Um, in the interim, I'm kind of jumping to, what chapter is that? There's a chapter, oh, chapter 11, Reboot Today uh-huh. for a Healthy Tomorrow. Right, right. Because we're sort of careening toward the end of the show, which I'm shocked. Can we, until we get to reboot after glyphosate goes away, do you think we can at least help ourselves besides fermented foods and, of course, your friend sunshine and cholesterol sulfate Mm -hmm. and all of that? Can we keep our immune system healthy enough and vital enough to at least kind of ward some of the deleterious effects of glyphosate? I would think so. I mean, certainly I try everything. I'm a great fan of the sun, and I just think really such a simple thing to get outside. I think people should try to be outside as much as they can. In today's world, you know, most of what you do is indoors, so so you have to make effort to go outside and and make sure to get that healthy, you know, full-spectrum sun exposure. And um, and your eyes, you know, don't wear sunglasses. I I have I never wear sunglasses, and and I'm you know 73 years old and. My eyes are fine. I don't have cataracts. I don't have, you know, retina problems. I'm, my eyes are fine, which I think is quite remarkable given that I've never used sunglasses because people think, oh, we got to protect the eyes with the sunglasses. It's the wrong way to go. But, of course, the glyphosate actually goes into the eyes. Anthony Sampson has, you know, he's he's a friend of mine, and he's, we've collaborated, and he's he's an interesting, interesting guy, but he's gotten a hold of a lot of uh, documents from Monsanto of their own early studies on glyphosate, and he's seen that they've they've observed you know that it goes into the eyes and causes trouble there. So I suspect that glyphosate exposure and, and glyphosate also messes up the skin so because the melanin, the skin tanning agent, comes out of that shikimate pathway. We didn't talk about this, but many different vital molecules in biology come out of that pathway that glyphosate blocks in the gut microbes. So people end up with deficiencies in critical things, and one of them is melanin. I have a lot of people say to me, "Oh, I can't get out in the sun. I just, I never tan. I just, I just burn. You know, my skin is white. I get red, and you know, and then I, it's clear that I'm being overexposed to the sun. I have to get out of the sun because I don't tan, and I think that means I don't have enough melanin in my skin. And hmm. since melanin is a product of the pathway that glyphosate blocks." you can imagine that it would be deficient. So I think the glyphosate is, and of course glyphosate also causes mitochondrial damage. In the in the eyes, it's going to cause inflammation, which is going to damage the retina. So I suspect that um, the reason why, you know, and sunscreen use has just gone up tremendously over the past three decades, tremendously. And we're so obsessed with making sure we we slobber ourselves with sunscreen. Um, and that's <laughs> yeah. also probably connected to glyphosate. Just that people are, more aware that the sun is causing damage because it is causing damage because glyphosate is disrupting the enzymes, all the all the mechanisms that the body has to protect this, the um, the body from from sunlight. Because you know sunlight is a gift, really a very big gift of energy source that plants use very effectively to turn you know carbon dioxide into 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 biomass, and animals use the sun I think for mobility and for thinking for the brain. The neurons and the muscle cells you take a tremendous amount of energy and they can really, the animals can afford to use that kind of energy because they get exposure to the sun. And so when we avoid the sun, we're really uh, disturbing the mitochondrial energy supply that's going to cause all kinds of troubles, you know, things like chronic fatigue syndrome and mm-hmm. various neurological diseases like autism and Alzheimer's. So I think um, very, very important for all of for the whole body health to get sun exposure to the eyes and to the skin. Well, and I, not unlike yourself, I have never had anything done to my eyes, no cataract surgery, which I think is sort of the hip replacement of right. now also, because mm-hmm. everybody's having cataract surgery. They're like, oh, I, I know, I'm I'm I, can see, I can't believe it. And I'm like, why? It's amazing how we come up. We're fixing things that if we fixed the main thing, which is polluting our atmosphere and stopping with the glyphosate, we might not have to fix all these things. What a radical idea. That's what idea. I think for sure. Yeah, it's really interesting how we put up with it and we just go along with the, you know, oh yeah, of course, oh yeah, I had cataract surgery, of course, you know, it's just like, 
everyone does, right? It's just the normal thing to do now. And so it becomes normalized. And of course, autism too, I think, becomes normalized. Now they're saying autism is sort of another way to be normal. You know, the kid can't speak, but that's not really a problem, you know? I mean, hello. They're special. They're special. There's something. And I'm not dishing in any way autistic kids. That's not, it's not their fault, but it's like you're trying to normalize a thing that is not. Right. Yeah, and I it's just think that's to me how messed we, up to how be we polite. Do that. Yeah, <laughs> and even ADHD, you know, which is now a total epidemic. I think something like twelve oh. percent of the kids. Yeah. Yeah, it's really sad. Yeah, I wish we'd all take diet classes, but like, you know, how to eat clean food. Let's just start out. I know, by and it's so food. simple, really. And I do think yeah. people should value time in the kitchen more. I think people are so hung up on efficiency, right? They don't want to waste time cooking, so they just buy processed foods and stick it in the oven, you know, something very easy. People should really um, honor the kitchen and spend more time cooking and go back to whole foods and, you know, from scratch and all that kind of thing. Just don't eat anything out of a box. Right, that's the general policy that I have. (laughs) Let's just shop the perimeter of the store. Right. Um, That's really kind of the deal. Just avoid the middle. Just go around the edges. You'll be fine. Um, And, you know, you're doing this to keep yourself safe from COVID. This is something that I really wish the government would emphasize, that people need to eat well in order to protect themselves from COVID, you know? I look forward to your next book on that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm hoping hoping I'll have the energy to write something like that. It would be quite a a show. It would be quite a thing. I'd be happy to talk about that. There was the, uh, in the way backstage, I did cook professionally for 20 years on and off in between other jobs, other lives. Oh, wow. Wow, And so I just think it's, I just don't understand the go out and get something in a box and heat it. Like like the infamous macaroni and cheese in a box. Right. You know, macaroni yeah, and cheese example. can be macaroni and cheese can be such a delicious thing, but you can make it with a good clean grain and the same thing cheeses, and it's like mind blowingly wonderful. Right. But you don't yeah. get it out of a box and teach the kids how to nuke it when they're children. That's just right. again my opinion. I can get surly. And it is true that kids today aren't even being taught how to cook, so they feel like it's kind of a foreign thing, right? That so they really don't know how to do it, even though it's not really that hard. But it's it can be a hurdle, I think, when they never get practice with it as a child. They have no exposure to it. Yeah. 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 Well, I'll say this briefly. There's also this trend with the uh, because I live north of the Silicon Valley. It's a very big trend to have these things like Blue Box or these other services where they pre-back all your food. It's raw, so if you're making a recipe that has two cloves of garlic, that's all that's in the box. But you get uh, yeah, a meal for pre-pre- four. Right. It's pre-raw. You know, everything's raw and you do have to cook it, but it's, there's so much, I have so many bad words about this because it irritates me so much. There's so much plastic in the packaging. Oh, yeah. None of it's recyclable. Uh, It's just another thing of, oh, we need more waste. Like, really? Right. more plastic waste? Are you kidding me? But the idea is that you can't go to the store and actually purchase your food because you're much too busy being important, I guess. Right, right. Even the whole, even the thing of putting like each bag, each lettuce in a plastic bag, you know, we don't, we we somehow I've gotten used to the idea you can't just put the food out there, you know, and just pick up a a head of lettuce with no plastic bag around it. You know, you would think. No, it has to be completely wrapped. No, no, those lemons need to be wrapped in plastic. Those lines need to be like they don't have a skin that protects them. Okay. Um, I'm surprised to say that we're there. Where I have to ask you. We had a lovely conversation. It was a great conversation. Very fast. (laughs) Yeah, very fast. Where can people find out more about you and your work, Uh and where where should they look for uh, Toxic Legacy? Yeah, so I have a a web page, a personal web page, stephaniesenef.net, and under that web page, I have slash book where you can find pointers to various booksellers that sell my book. You can also just type type Toxic Legacy if you can remember Toxic Legacy type it into a Google search engine and, and the Amazon link will come right up. So Toxic Legacy, How the Weed Killer Glyphosate is Destroying Our Health and the Environment. That's the name of my book. And um, yeah, that's it. I have an MIT webpage where I have a ton of information, all kinds of slideshows and um, in, interviews and whatnot. Papers, all the, all the papers, most of the papers that I've published 
over yeah, I the put past that, I put, several years. I put that link in chat with a warning of like, this is really for the hard nerd crowd. There's an amazing <laughs> it is exactly amount of very nerdy there. looking web page. It's very nerdy web page. It's like the kind of like page I like at night sit up and watch, read like, wow, that's amazing. Look at this one. There's wonderful <laughs> research available at that page. Yeah, but it's great. not for the You'll casual viewer. <laughs> yes, I did. Excellent. Yeah, I will. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much. That was, and I also put a link for the wonderful article about the manatees. Come on. Oh, great! Wonderful. Please, let's. There's a giant example of a wonderful creature being in its life being destroyed because we just can't figure it out. It blows my mind. It is so sad, isn't it? Because they're very special, and it's just a shame that we're destroying them. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I've got no up note here. That was wonderful. It went faster than I thought it would. Thank you. It was lovely. Everybody have a great rest of the weekend. Bye-bye. Bye.